Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. It'll be found on page 1501 in your pew Bibles. Before we read, let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us together again this morning to worship you freely when others are not so richly blessed. Bless Pastor Helema as he helps us to focus on being forgiven and forgiving others as we are called to do. We pray in the name of he who taught us to pray, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Chapter 5, starting at verse 1. A familiar passage, I'm sure. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way as they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Jesus, it's kind of a beautiful thing to go through the entire Lord's Prayer through the lens of the cross. And as I was reflecting on forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, it brought to mind that incredibly powerful statement of our Lord from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's certainly a rich and deep embodiment of that petition from the Lord's Prayer. Do you ever find that God works in kind of funny ways sometimes to connect the dots? About two months ago, Chris asked me if I would preach this morning on that specific petition. And it's a petition that is very weighty in my own life, and I told him I'd be delighted to do it. And then early this week, a significant relational wound that was in my life two years ago re-erupted powerfully and 
unpleasantly. And it continued that way all week. It's still sitting in kind of bad shape this morning. And so my preparing for this message and my dealing with this old wound that refreshed during this week, it was like this all week long. A mentor of mine said to me once, sometimes in your walk with the Lord, it's, it's helpful to think of certain parts of your life as learning labs. And he said it kind of works like this. You, you take this little part of your life and you recognize that there are things there that are unresolved and that God is working in you and it's going to be a while before it comes to some kind of resolution or some kind of transformation. And you simply kind of put your hands around it and offer it up to the Lord and say, Lord, take this part of my life and make it a learning lab that I can walk with you gently, patiently, expectantly, kind of seeing where you might take this and how you might work through it. And he said, Giving, making it a learning lab even allows you to bring a little hint of playfulness into it. Even when it's something really difficult, like look what I'm going through right now with a, with a particular person. But it allows you to say, this is not for me to control. This is, Lord, I'm going to just offer this over to you and invite you to journey with me through this at whatever pace you determine is the right pace to walk through it. I'm going to guess every one of us here this morning has something that we can make a forgiving our debtor's learning lab. Some resentment that is just sitting there. Something broken, some anger that we've just sort of keep, kept under the carpet, simmering. So I invite you for this message to identify your Holy Spirit learning lab and to let that prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, be kind of like the hands that hold that piece of your life up for Lent to invite the Spirit to do what it needs to do at the pace it needs to do it as you hold it up. I remember early in my life, you know, taking this petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and by the way, there's, there's three verses in the Sermon on the Mount that basically say the same thing, but with different nuances and different emphases. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And love your enemies. Different shades to each one of the three but they're part of one larger whole. The power of taking the grace that has been poured out on us and offering it to others, especially the ones to whom it is the most difficult to offer it to. I used to think there was kind of a contradiction in this theme because it kind of sounds like do you want to earn the grace of the Lord? Well, you will earn it after you offer that grace to others. Right? You, you could almost think of it that way, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And 
Blessed are the merciful, because they are the ones who are going to be shown mercy. A book that kind of helped me get a handle on the, the, that seeming logic of what looks like earning grace was a book by a gentleman named Marvin Wilson called Our Father Abraham. And one of the main themes of that book he sa- is this. He said, most of us in the Western world have grown up intuiting a kind of Greek logic If A is true, and then B must also be true. So A, if I show mercy to others, then B, God will show mercy to me. But says Dr. Wilson, the Hebrew kind of logic that the Bible flows from is not so simply linear as if A, then B. And Dr. Wilson says, it's more like a circular dance of sorts in which A is true and B is true, but they seem to kind of contradict each other in some ways, but you got to hold them together like this. And I remember after reading that book, lots of themes in the Bible opened up to me in new and fresh ways, in deeper ways, I think. And I think that applies to this petition in the Lord's Prayer as well. We are not being told that if we forgive others, then we will earn the right to be forgiven. No, as the sermon title says, we are invited into the mercy dance, the grace dance, the forgiveness dance, so that the new life that shapes us becomes contagious through us. I like to think of the eight Beatitudes as an eight-step dance. And when we learn the dance of all eight steps, It becomes kind of a circular, communal dance movement that we all partake in together. I'm a terrible dancer, but I'll just work with the metaphor this morning and see if it helps us lean into this rich and difficult biblical teaching. Imagine pilgrim going on a journey through the eight steps of the Beatitudes. It might look a little bit like this. Once upon a time, Pilgrim heard the call to follow Jesus. He or she wanted to fix his eyes upon Jesus. And as he did, he heard Jesus, she heard Jesus inviting him into this dance one step at a time, beginning with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in that call, Pilgrim heard release, to release all the pretenses and phony ways in which Pilgrim tried to make his or her identity real. In that call, he heard Jesus She heard Jesus say, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come as you are. Lay down everything else that is your attempt to be someone whom you are not. And hear that same Lord say to you that a bruised reed I will not break and a smoldering wick I will not snuff out. 
And so as broken, wounded pilgrims, we're invited into the dance of following Jesus just as I am without one plea. And as pilgrim released those things that hid the poor poverty of his or her heart, he found that his identity became rooted not in him or herself, but in Jesus. And as he looked at the world around him, something changed in the way that he looked. He heard the words, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And he realized that where there once was self-righteous anger that shaped so much of how he looked at the world around him, instead, she named the brokenness inside herself and inside the world and recognized that the dance of following Jesus involves many tears, weeping with those who weep, Weeping with Jesus as he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and as Luke tells us in Luke 19, as he saw the city before him, he wept, crying out, if you, only you had known on this day who had come to bring you peace, to bring you shalom, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And so Pilgrim wept with our Lord Jesus and wept with those who weep. And then releasing the self-righteous angers and other things, the releasing continued. As Pilgrim heard Jesus say, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And Pilgrim found himself releasing all his attempts to take on ungodly ways of exercising power, ways of manipulating people, ways of cajoling people, ways of being coercive. And Pilgrim heard the Lord say to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Pilgrim recognized that meekness is the deepest, strongest power in the universe. A power that embodies transformation. And the releasing continued. And as the word of the Lord penetrated like a double-edged sword into the heart of Pilgrim, Pilgrim heard Jesus say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Pilgrim looked into her heart and saw hundreds of hungers and thirsts that did not align themselves with righteousness, but aligned themselves with Pilgrim's own kingdom. And Pilgrim recognized that the releasing, the surrendering, the giving up that comes in the call to Jesus penetrated to the core of her being so that that core began to embody a hungering and thirsting that said, Lord, I want to seek first the kingdom and trust that all else will fall into line out of that foundational hunger and thirst. And then the call of Jesus continued. But now, instead of a releasing or an emptying, it turned a corner a corner into a filling. 
If I can use an analogy that may not be the nicest. It's like a dentist cleaning out a cavity. And first the dentist drills away all the stuff that's in the way of health. And you can hear the sound of the drill and oh, is it an awful sound. But you know that in the end, the goal is a tooth that's going to be in better shape than it was when you walked in. And now the drilling is done. And our Lord, the dentist, says, now I'm going to fill it. And the primary filling item is mercy. Mercy is what the dentist uses. Once that releasing has been surrendered to the Lord, he says, now let me fill you with my mercy, that that will define the way that you are poor in spirit, the way in which you mourn, the way in which you embody meekness, and the way in which you will line up all of your hungers and thirsts so that they all focus on seeking first the kingdom of God. Mercy is the hinge. It's the one that takes this whole eight-step beatitude mercy dance and transforms the parts that precede it and guides the ones that follow it. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And the exercise of mercy towards others is the tangible way in which it becomes evident that we are walking inside the mercy dance as a community. But mercy begins to do more things to us. And Pilgrim hears the Lord saying, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And at first, Pilgrim recoils and says, I am not pure in heart. But then we remember that David, the king, after his sordid affair with Bathsheba and the murdering of her husband and all kinds of other things that just displayed a heart that was totally off-kilter, David dared to pray in Psalm 51, Purify my heart, Lord. Make me again among those who are pure in heart. Telling us that every one of us, as pilgrim, is invited to hear the Lord say to us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And we see now the Beatitudes kind of making a circle that just as, just as our meekness has enabled us to release false kinds of power, so mercy cleanses our eyes and helps us to see the world around us as a place where God is everywhere. And as Charles Wesley, John Wesley said, we learn to see the Lord God in all things. And we think of Jesus' teaching later in the Gospel of Matthew where he declares, whatever you do to the least of these, when you feed the hungry, when you visit the lonely, you have done unto me. And as purity of heart is a gift given to us, we learn to see God in places where we had not at first seen him. And so mercy reshapes our eyes 
and our actions. And as we participate in learning to see God in all things, because I am with you to the end of the age, wherever you go, you can't go anywhere where I am not. It's Psalm 139. On the other end of the cross in the open tomb is what it is. We find that we have become peacemakers. We have become givers of shalom. The mercy that we have received and the dance that we have entered into has given us a new identity, not just in ourselves and in our community, but in the world around us. We are people who bring the shalom of Jesus everywhere that we go. We are peacemakers, signposts of the new creation, the new community of Jesus fed by the word and the table to be him, his body, in all the places that he has placed us. And as we enter into this worship, this mercy dance as, as pilgriming community, we find that in all kinds of ways we are at odds with other powers and other angers and other identities around us. And so we actually experience the blessing of the end of the dance. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And so the hungering and thirsting for righteousness, which is filled by mercy, becomes a community whose actions at righteousness and evoke persecution, but, but evoke something else as well. Because as we are light and salt as we are called to be, it also happens that others see our good deeds and praise our Father who is in heaven. And it's not just a Lenten journey, it's a lifelong, every day of the year of our life journey. I asked for a paragraph to be placed in the bulletin that helps me visualize what it looks like to be a mercy dance community. And it helps me make it tangible. And I'm just going to take a moment and read it with you. You don't have to look it up, but if you have it there, fine. You can look at it later as well. It's on the fridge at my home to remind me daily. And in response to the question, what does a believing community shaped by grace, the power of Jesus, look like? Dr. Calvin Sirvelt writes, they have suffered hurt without rancor are gently corrective toward wrong rather than judgmental. And do not try to set things straight as much as order affairs lovingly, intent upon carrying along joyfully any who may be weak, trustfully biding God's timing. They live like people raised from the dead, they don't have to prove anything to themselves or to anybody. They are not compulsive people trying to make good or to live up to requirements. They are subject to grace alone and act clean, singularly pure amid all kinds of complexities that will not go away. The learning lab that erupted into my life this week 
is very complex. It's got so many layers, so many knots tied up, so many tangled threads that I know it'll probably be a many-month journey to walk through the re-eruption of my call to be forgiving as I have been forgiven. There's a couple stories I've heard in my pastoral dealings over the years that helped me lean into what it means to live out this beautiful Lenten call to share the forgiveness that Christ has forgiven us. I was once visiting a couple whose mother was in a coma and expected to die very soon, and they had said their goodbyes before she slipped into a coma. And as we were talking together, the phone call came that her mother had passed away. We prayed for a moment, and then there was a moment of quietness. And then she said, this is pretty complicated for me. When I was a teenager, my two older brothers abused me. Mom knew about it and never said a word never took a single step and just let it continue. And as I've been saying goodbye to her, <laughs> I learned something about this forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I've learned something I hadn't known about Jesus telling Peter, you forgive your brother 70 times 7. You see, I thought Jesus meant that if your brother sins against you 70 times 7, you have to forgive him 70 times, seven times. But now I've learned there are specific things that have happened in my life that I have to work on forgiving 70 times, seven. Because when I think I've done the act of forgiveness, it erupts again. And I've got to go back and do it again and again and again. I like that. I think she was on to something powerful about the challenge and the beauty and the depth of this petition in the Lord's Prayer. Another time at an elders meeting, we were having a little time of reflection on the ways that we had seen Jesus in our lives and in our ministry. And one elder made a very brief observation. He said, funny thing happened. Last Sunday when we had communion, as I was putting the bread into my mouth, in that instant, for the first time in 10 years, I felt like I could forgive someone whom I'd never been able to forgive. I can't explain it. I can't tell you the logic of what happened there. I'm just thankful that it did. There's a deeper logic inside this petition than any of us could ever explain from a pulpit. But we are called to anticipate and wait and experience in our lives as the profound forgiveness of our Lord Jesus enters into the tanglednesses in our own hearts. I invite you to bring your learning lab of forgiveness to the table in a few moments. To invite the Lord to do in you what he needs to do in his good timing and to walk with you faithfully 
that the good work begun in you will be brought to completion at the right time as we together are a community on the way, a pilgriming community shaped by that powerful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we talk about amazing grace, and after a while, the adjective almost feels a bit trite. But truly, it is beyond our comprehension. And so, as each of us receive day by day, moment by moment, that overwhelming grace, lead us on that journey of release, of letting go those things the Beatitudes name that hinder and get in the way of the power of your grace in our lives and fill us to overflowing with your deep mercy that it may do its work in every part of the dance of our walk with you. We thank you for your perseverance in our lives. We thank you for your patience we thank you that situations that defy logic in our own minds do not defy the deeper logic in your heart. And so grant us the trust to surrender our faulty logic or incomplete logic to your deeper, more powerful logic. And nourish us again at this table too, dear Lord Jesus, as we long to be the community of your grace in all that we are and do together within this gathering of people and into the places where you call us all the week long. We pray in that strong name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.